you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43. I freely admit, and in an effort to be fully transparent, I normally, in my regular personality, do whatever I possibly can do to avoid controversy and confrontation. It's just not who I am. Now, I'll engage in it, but if it were left up to my personality, I'd rather just walk away. Uh, my personality is perfectly okay with you being wrong. I, I, <laughs> I have no, no inner desire in who my makeup is as a person. If I see you in error, I'm okay leaving you that way. I, I, I just, this is part of my makeup. God's had to work on me and mature me that when I see error, I can confront it. But I avoid a lot of things. Also, there are things I avoid because I think there are some things that have a proper place. I have never, ever believed and still do not believe, so I won't believe now, that this particular place, this pulpit, this holy desk, is where politics gets preached from. Don't buy it, won't do it, and as long as I am pastor, we'll get in the way of it being done here. But there have been so many things that have gone on over the past number of months that I just felt I needed to take a break from my regular series on the Sermon on the Mount to talk about a couple of things. The world we live in today would like to convince you and me that the practice of our faith is something that should be an entirely private thing. That's what they would like everybody in the country to believe. My subject this morning is simply church and state. Our culture would like you to believe that your faith system, your belief in God, our Christian way of life is something that should be kept to oneself. That it should have no influence when it comes to interaction in the public square. Now, that's the subtext, and at times it's not even a subtext. They come out and just say it that way. Oh, that's the message given to us, but that what someone believes should, especially what someone believes about God, should be kept inside. Never allowed to come out, never allowed to be part of any public conversation, never allowed to influence the decisions that we make on a daily basis, especially decisions that we make that influence other people. We've recited this since we were young. And for some of us, we've been reciting it for longer than others. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That phrase first appeared in a youth Christian magazine back in 1852. It was then adopted officially by Congress back in the early 1900s, but it did not have the phrase, one nation under God. That happened in 1952, in 1958, when President Eisenhower added, one nation under God, indivisible. 
The question I want to address today is not if religion or faith and politics mix. Because to me, that question is answered. We are not a bunch of compartments. We are whole people. Amen. We are all who we are. The question is not if they mix, but it's how. How do they mix? And when we address this, because when we look around us, it is clear something is very, very wrong. And you know something is terribly, long, uh, is, is terribly wrong when the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, is becoming and has become divided on political lines. We've allowed political opinions to divide the fellowship that God established by making us brothers and sisters in Jesus. We've restored, we, we have resorted to measuring the depth of one's Christian faith by what party or political opinion they belong to. And even worse, we've resorted to measuring even the existence of one's Christian faith based on whether or not they belong to a particular party. How many times have I seen posted in social media, you can't be a Christian if you support this or that. We've allowed the goals of the political realm to override and take priority over the bond that we share in the kingdom of God. And it's wrong. Ezekiel's prophecy overall addressed a particular problem that was happening among the people of Israel. And it was that the glory of God had departed. It had departed because of their disobedience. It had departed because of them turning to other gods. It had departed because they were not following the precepts or the covenant that was ingrained in their being the people of God. The spirit of the Lord had taken flight. The presence of the Lord not only was no longer available or present among the people of Israel, it was no longer present in the society in general. God had become distance from his people. Gee, I just see so many parallels to today. But something exciting happens in chapter 43 of the book of Ezekiel. Something amazing, something wonderful, something worth shouting from the rooftop. And that is that the glory of the Lord is about to return to the temple. This is amazing news. This is great news. The glory of God is about to return. And in reading through this, the glory of God, if you go back to Ezekiel chapter 6, had departed nearly 20 years ago. So join me. Book of Ezekiel chapter 43. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. Afterward, he brought me to the gate and the gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the glory of the Lord of Israel came from way from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chebar and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then I heard him speaking from the, um, to me from the temple, which, while a man stood beside me. 
Ezekiel, we would say today was having a good old Holy Ghost time. The presence of the Lord was so magnificent, he said in verse 3, he fell on his face. We need people in God's house to have such a glimpse of his glory that we too will fall down on our face. We fall, he fell on his face, not just because he was knocked out cold, he fell on his face in worship. But in proclaiming and declaring the return of the glory of the Lord, Ezekiel is told, he's reminded by God why the glory of the Lord left to begin with. How many know sometimes, even when we're having an issue resolved, it's good to be reminded how we got into the mess we were in to begin with. So let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 43 and continue reading in verse number 7 and he said to me son of man this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever no more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name nor they nor their kings by their harlotry with or with their carcasses of their kings on their high places when they set their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost by my doorpost with a wall between them and me they defiled my holy name by the abominations which they committed therefore I have consumed them in my anger now let them put their harlotry and their carcasses of their kings far from me and I will dwell in their midst forever God wants to remind Ezekiel, God wants to remind the people of Israel that yes, this is an amazing moment. The glory of the Lord is returning. Let's be clear why it left in the first place. God is reminding the people that one of the reasons that the glory of the Lord departed was because their human kings were allowed to put their thrones next to God's throne. They were allowed to set up their place next to God's place. They would have special chairs, their throne, that would be placed in the temple and near where God's throne was. What a king declared, what gave the impression from that, is when a king spoke that they were speaking as if God was speaking. And the king in that day represented government. The government, their government, was allowed to intrude into the rule of God. God's throne in the temple and what the kings would do would manipulate their influence in the temple. Government was allowed to get so close to God, be viewed as being on the same plane, that there were essentially two thrones in God's house. There was the throne of the government and a throne for God. So essentially, there were two kings in the house. How many know that don't work? That don't work. There were human kings and there was the king of kings. And they were being treated equal. There were human opinions and God's opinion. And they were being treated equal. It says that when the kings came in, they brought abominations with them. If you go back to 2 Kings, in one place, 
King Josiah has to tell the high priest to remove the images of Baal from the temple. Well, how did they get in there in the first place? When the kings put their thrones in God's house, they were putting their views of life. They were putting their views of how people should behave. They were putting their views on how things should be processed on the same level of what thus saith the Lord. And God tells Ezekiel, this is harlotry, which is a form of idolatry. It's idol worship, putting anything above or at the same level of the one true God that we worship. You see, in God's house, there cannot be multiple thrones. God is the ruler in this house. We can't be bringing other kings or other ways or other views or other philosophies into this house that will compete with thus saith the Lord. He is reminding the people why the glory of the Lord left in the first place. Don't let any king, I'm coming back, but don't let any king set up, don't let any government, don't let any popular society view set up shop in my house as being equal with me. Government can never, no king, no leader, no government should ever tell the church what is right and wrong. It's our job to tell them what is right and wrong. No government, no leader should ever tell the church what is good or evil. That's our job as God's people to tell them what is good or evil. No government, no leader should ever tell the church what is proper or what is improper. But the church didn't, but, but the people didn't say anything. And today the church hasn't said much either. We've allowed the government and permitted them to be on the same level. And not just in our hearts, and not just in our minds, but all too often in God's house. The effort has been, as I see it in society, to create what many would call civil religion as the norm and have that brought into the church. I want to be clear today. I love my country. I am proud to be an American. When I have traveled to other countries, it was with a feeling of pride that I handed the customs agents of that country my American passport. Yes. This is my home. But when there are conflicts between the thrones that my country worships at and the thrones that God wants me to worship at, it needs, I need to be reminded that ultimately I come from a different kingdom. I am a citizen of a different kingdom. And to make them equal, uh, and for us to make them equal, Ezekiel calls that in verse 8, an abomination. To bring human politics and allow it to contradict with the word of God, especially in his house. Now again, I want to be clear. God is not against government. God established government. But he didn't establish it to compete with him. It was established, according to the scriptures, to do his bidding. 
Government was established to serve him and to fulfill his purposes in society. And those purposes are simple, to promote good and to limit evil. That's the purpose of government according to God. But it's to promote good and limit evil as defined by God. God was not established to compete, uh, government was not established to compete with him. And again, certainly not in his house. God established government. And he established, if you look at the scriptures, three basic systems or structures of government. The first one was the family. That was the first basic structure he established. The second one was the church. And the third one is the civil, or what we would call government in general. Each has a specific structure, and each has consequences that are tied to behavior. But God says he is above all three. I, according to the scriptures, am the head of my home. Kinda. I am the head of my home as long as my leadership remains under the authority of Almighty God. When I step out of that, I got nothing to stand on in calling myself the head of my home. Because of the way the scriptures read, as the pastor of this church, I am the head and the leader of this church. Kinda. As long as my leadership in this church remains under and remains true to the word of God and to his leadings, I get to call myself the leader of this church. And the same is true in government. They want to have this authority that God has provided as long as they stay under the authority and in keeping with Almighty God. God is on the throne and he establishes the guidelines of how each government structure should work. The family, the church, and civil government. But in each case, neither structure, none of the three, get to tell God what to do. How many have ever found any success telling God what to do? It don't work. He would say to the head of the house or family, you're the head as long as. You're in charge as long as your rule follows the guidelines that God has set up. As I said, I am the pastor, kind of. The moment any authority steps out from under God's rule, you're no longer leading God's way. And you then can't claim God's mantle. Because when that happens, things fall. But when we allow this mindset to enter his house, we're interfering with the very throne of God. And when that happens, what happened in Ezekiel's day, the glory departed. It is the job of our homes, every home represented here, every home in America, it's the job of every home to reflect the principles of Almighty God. It is the job of every church to reflect the principles of Almighty God. And it is the job of every government structure, local, county, state, national, to reflect the principles of Almighty God. And that's not just this country. Every country on the planet that God established, which he established them all, is to reflect the principles 
of Almighty God. So the glory of the Lord left because the kings were being permitted to occupy a place in God's house that was not authorized by God. Today, from what I see, from what I observe, we've allowed political or governmental realms to dictate to the kingdom of God. You see, the question in everyone's mind today is whose side are you on? Hmm. Are you on the liberal side or the conservative side? Are you on the Democrat side or the Republican side? Are you on the progressive side or the traditional side? But that's the problem. Everyone wants to declare that God is on their side. But they're missing the point. God's not looking to come into our lives and take sides. He's looking to come into our lives and take over. Church, our God does not ride, given the symbols that our political parties use. I want to make this clear so the image is clear. Our God does not ride on the backs of donkeys and elephants. He has his own throne. Sometimes God will approve one side or another, depending on what the issue is. But what's clear, where God stands will not be because of what's popular. God's not looking at Twitter to see what's trending. Our problem is that some Christians are more committed to one king or another, one philosophy or another, than they are being committed to Almighty God. I will. <laughs> the problem with many Christians today is that they're more committed to one party or one political mindset or one political viewpoint, more committed to that than they are to God Almighty. And that really matters in what God, God's rule declares. Being so committed to one political persuasion that it gets in the way of you and I having fellowship as brothers and sisters in God, which is, if I might remind you, our fellowship is something God commands. Yeah, but I can't fellowship with them because of the way they believe. But then you're violating the command of Almighty God. You've let something get in the way when God says we're to come together and forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. We've allowed a king's throne to be elevated to the place of God's throne. Now, I've, throughout this entire message so far, I've not told you how to believe. I've not commented on any point, and I won't. What I will say is no matter what you believe, you are my brother, you are my sister, we are family, and it's time we start getting together and showing the world that our unity is above and far above that which the world can produce. This pulpit will never be committed or dedicated to any political party. Amen. There will be no campaign speeches here. I've often been asked over the years in this church and other churches, can someone who's running for office come and say something to the people? And they mean well. And my response is kind. Uh-uh. I just want to let the people know what I believe. Okay. No. Not that's not what this pulpit is for. That's not what it's for. There will be no campaign speeches here. All you will ever hear, and I will do my best to make this true, hopefully, is my best effort as what God is saying to his people at any one particular time. Amen. And also what's clear, 
everybody is welcomed. Everyone's welcomed. Republicans are welcomed. Democrats are welcomed. Liberals are welcomed. Conservatives are welcomed. Believers are welcomed. Atheists, you're welcome too. As long as when you come into this place, as long as when you enter this house, you understand there is only one throne. And it's not a throne dedicated to any human king or any human philosophy. It is a throne dedicated to the one creator of the universe. We need to be involved as his people. We need to vote. We need to be civically involved in our culture. We need to have our voices heard. We need to speak into the lives of our society. But for believers, that includes also realizing that no matter what group we might find more comfort in, in our lives, there is still one throne. And it isn't blue, and it isn't red, it's God. He, it's he's the one throne. Now after making this clear to Ezekiel why the glory left, Ezekiel hears more from God. Ezekiel 43, verse number 10. Son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern or the plan. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple and its arrangement, its exits, its entrances, its, its design, and its ordinances, all its forms and all its laws. Write it down in their sight so they may keep the whole design and all of its ordinances and perform them. This is the law of the temple. Another way you can say that, this is the law of the house. The whole area surrounding the mountaintop is most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. All of us have homes. Whether it's a standalone structure or an apartment or a con whatever, we all have homes. I'm sure in your home, you have rules that govern your home. There are rules for your family members. Rules that understand that they're members of your family, those who live there every single day. And then you also have rules for visitors when they come. Now, when our children bring their friends to our house, they have to abide by the rules of the house. They can't just come in and do whatever they want. It doesn't matter whose kids they are. When they come into my house, they have to abide by my rules. If your teenage child's friends want to come over, fine. If your teenage child's friends want to come over and smoke crack or shoot heroin, not so fine. But you don't understand. This behavior is fine back in my house, but we're not in your house. We're in my house where my rules prevail. I'm sure the fact in that example, the fact that these children aren't your kids is irrelevant. You're in my house. I can't change how someone talks outside my house. I can't change how someone behaves outside my house. But when you're in my house, you will follow the rules of the house. If someone wanted to walk into your home and start smoking marijuana, 
I'm quite sure someone would say something. At least I'm back here praying and hoping you would say something. You would say, you can't smoke that in my house. And they may say, why? It's fine every other place I go. Because this is my house. Now, I get that there are many things that we may have in common, but the moment you cross the threshold, the doorway, the doorstep, the doorpost of my house, you have now entered into a place where it has rules. Because you're in my house. And that's where the church is messed up. The church has not always been true to the rules of God's house or God's throne. We have bent to what is popular, we have bent to what society wants, and we have bent to what they want to promote. Now we need to be people who understand that there is one throne and only one person who sits on that throne, and his name is Jesus Christ. No donkey or elephant sits on the throne in God's house. It's not some new age philosophy that sits on the throne in God's house. It's not what recent opinion polls have decided the American people want that sits on the throne in God's house. It's not what's trending or what's cool that sits on the throne in God's house. What is preached here will be in keeping with the rules of this house and the rules of this house are called the Holy Bible in case you want to refer to them Amen. what is proclaimed here will be in keeping with God's house God himself Jesus the Lord of glory is the only one worthy to sit on the throne in this house and you know what since the Bible in the New Testament also makes it clear that our bodies have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is a throne for God inside of each one of you. And the only one worthy to sit on that throne, his name, church, is Jesus. Amen. If we are true believers in Jesus, political parties won't divide us. If we are true believers in his way, public behavioral trends can't divide us, nor will they consume us. If we're true believers in him, whoever wins in November isn't going to interrupt my fellowship with my brother or sister. If we're true believers, that means God is our father, and you and I are brothers and sisters. We're family. Now, I know many of you have family, so you could say sometimes we behave like family. Dysfunctional on every level. But we're his kids. The kids of the house don't get to determine the rules of the house. We as his kids don't determine the rules of the house. Well, you know what? I just come to my own ways of thinking and my own philosophies I kind of look at this or that very differently. You're entitled to that. But what gets promoted in this house is what thus says the Lord. So when it comes to what marriage is, that's going to matter what thus says the Lord. When it comes to what gender you're born, that's going to matter what thus says the Lord. When it comes to who you can marry, that's going to matter what thus says the Lord. When it comes to whether you're traditional or progressive, it's going to matter what thus says the Lord. When it comes to social justice, it's going to matter what thus says the Lord. Amen. Not 
a talking point, not a political news channel. What thus says the Lord. Now, I think I've been able to get through this message without indicating any particular opinion. I've not covered a hot-button topic. I'm going to leave that for next week. And y'all pray for me. Because <laughs> the message that I prepared for next week, I prepared back in July. Because I could see where all this nonsense was going. And that message is simply entitled Voting Instructions. How Christians should vote. Notice I didn't say who we vote for. Because that's between you and God. When I voted yesterday, I was enclosed in this area. And I filled out my card. And what did I fill out? That's none of your business. And what you fill out is none of my business. What I can tell you is that I tried my best to hear from God. And I'm going to leave that to you and God. But when it comes to our fellowship, you giving me some type of litmus test that says, well, if you voted this way, we can't be friends. Then you need to understand whether we're friends or not. We're family if you believe in Jesus and I believe in Jesus. And God says we're to fellowship one with another. What happened in Israel was that the glory departed because the government was allowed to be put on the same level as God's throne. Church, this can't happen here. And if ever there was a, a church in the world that needed the glory of God to come back, it's the American church. We need the glory of God to come back. And that's not going to matter in any way, shape, or form, what the world does, what the world believes, how they get their act in line. It's, it's going to matter if God's people can get our act together and put things back the way they should by putting him on the only throne that should exist in this house and the only throne that should exist in your home and the only throne that should exist in your heart. And that's the throne of Jesus Christ. Stand with me, please.